series, The Summer of Wisdom, walking through different texts in the scripture from wisdom literature. And, and today we're, we're in uh, Proverbs uh, Six, I believe, specifically, but I'm gonna, we're going to read a few different texts as we jump in. So if you want to, you can follow on the screen or you can read along with me in starting in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And now from Proverbs 22, verse six. Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. And from Proverbs 1, Verses 8 through 10. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. This is the word of the Lord. We'd just like to welcome everybody today. I know that we have several visitors from Eagle Heights. I hear that you have your power is out over there, so... We just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning. But uh, like Drew said, we are in this series called The Summer of Wisdom. In the middle of that, looking at several main passages, a lot of them coming out of Proverbs. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 22, verse 6. If you'd like to open your Bibles there, you can go ahead and do that. But what we're going to be talking about is what it means to have godly wisdom as we raise the next generation to know and follow the Lord. Now, coincidentally, it is also Father's Day, so we want to say thanks to all the dads for coming today. And because you did, we decided that we had to poke a little fun of you along, uh, along the way. And so what we're going to do is watch a video of one of my favorite comedians, Nate Bargatze, and what he has to say about dads. So let's go ahead and watch this. Our daughter is in third grade. And uh, for first grade, she started taking the bus. And it was the first time she ever took the bus. So if you know as a parent, you walk them to the bus stop. It's very fun. And so we got her on the bus. She went to school. At the end of the school day, someone from the school called my cell phone. They have my wife's cell phone. They have my cell phone. They called my cell phone. And the t she said, hey, do you know what bus number your daughter's supposed to be on? And I said, I'm her dad. <laughs> I said, are you crazy? Like, I was like, this is how you thought you would get this information? Was to call the dad? You saw a mom and dad's cell phone. You go, I bet the dad knows. I was like, do you have parents? Have you ever seen a family before? You thought, let's call the husband? I would rather you ask a lady that doesn't know her. I think she could get to the bottom of it quicker than I can. I had to go get her. I go, all right, I'll come get her. What's, tell me the name of this school and I'll come get her. What, where does she go? And all the dads are like, okay, what school does my child attend? I have to make sure and at least get that right. Um, really, all, all joking and humor aside, I, I think we have to realize that as we raise the next generation to know and follow the Lord, there are a lot of difficulties and complexities 
that we face. I know that we've faced this as parents. And so I reached out to you uh, in the last couple weeks, and I just asked some of you the question, what are some of the different challenges that you're facing, whether you're just a church member or you're a, you're a parent yourself, some of the different challenges that you have faced raising your children to know the Lord? And these uh, responses are going to be on the screen. Someone said, trying to find a balance of freedom and protection when it comes to their school friends and the time that they spend with them. Someone else said, knowing when to have conversations about sexuality and what the Bible says about it. Another one, popular answer, when to allow cell phones. None of our kids have one yet, and we've always been of the mindset to give them one in their early teens to 16, but the social pressure to give one sooner than that is tough. Most of my daughter's friends have phones. A grandmother said this, so these are younger parents, people that have just had kids all the way up into grandparents, but a grandmother said this, when they were younger, a challenge was knowing how much to shelter them and how much to expose them or allow them to be exposed to certain things and talk about it from a biblical perspective. It seems that too much sheltering makes them very curious and unable to handle things when it comes their way. But allowing them to be too exposed can make things, things seem okay or desensitize them to certain things that could stunt their spiritual growth, it seems. And then so there's a balance there, and that's always difficult to know, or at least it was for me. And then she continued, as they're now out of the home, it seems more and more difficult to stay connected and involved in their lives. How much do you try to involve yourself compared to how much you wait for an invite? For grandkids, it's similar, because you don't want to intrude too much but you want to be involved, especially if the spiritual training doesn't seem to be an emphasis at the moment. Someone said this, expecting them to obey when they don't have the Holy Spirit in them due to unbelief. Are children lying? Answering questions honestly and biblically based around sexuality and gender that they encounter being in this world. Someone said, making time to be intentional with our kids on discussions about Jesus and their relationship with him, making sure that they see our relationship with Jesus is real and modeling that in healthy ways, making time to check their phones, knowing when to say no, making time to consistently pray for each of them, their future spouses, and their friends. And someone said, the current challenge that I'm facing in raising our elementary kids is letting them learn on their own without just trying to make life just easier for them and letting them fail and learn. Early on, I struggled and probably still do, realizing that it's a lot harder than I thought and more specifically, that I'm not good as, as good at parenting and discipline as I thought that I would be before I had kids. Another grandparent said, as a grandparent, I try not to give our kids advice on how to raise their kids unless they ask me, but that is so hard to do, but I do think that I'm getting better. <laughs> the biggest challenge in all phases has been trying to be a bigger influence on them than the world or their friend group, and an important challenge is how to keep them involved in the church during and after college. So far, we have 50-50 success with this. And both kids had the same parenting. And so I don't know if that relates to your story, but you hear some of those responses. And we see that parenting and raising the next generation is far more an art than it is a science. Really, there are no easy answers, no silver bullets. We need something else, something else than social media, something else than the latest, most popular hashtag on how to raise the next generation. And when we go to Scripture, we see in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 
we see that God indeed gives us a different way. It's deeper, it's a lot more complex, it doesn't involve lots of easy answers. And the answer is simply the pursuit of godly wisdom. The pursuit of godly wisdom. And so that brings us to Proverbs 22, verse 6. You can follow along in your Bible. Drew read this earlier. We're going to read it from several different translations. But this is what it says in the CSB. Start a youth out on his way. And even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. ESV says, you might be more familiar with this translation, train up a child in the way that he should go, and then even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, the Living Bible, start a youth out on his way. A more direct translation from the original language, it, it's worded more like this, initiate a child in accordance with his way. And you hear that, and you think, well, first of all, what does that actually mean? And then how do you do that? What does it mean, and then how do we do that? And now there are some, some difficulties, I think some tensions that, that come into play whenever we come to texts like this. The first one is, is that many times we like to take it literally, like this is a promise from Scripture. If I do this, A plus B equals C always, and that's just not wisdom literature. That's not Proverbs. Proverbs is proverbial. It's generally the way that things happen, generally the way that life goes. It's not a promise. And then the second challenge is, is that many times we read scriptures like this and we think, hey, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have children. I don't have a young family. We're not raising them. I'm, I'm not married. Or on the other hand, my kids are grown and gone, and I'm trying to withhold everything of saying these things to my kids that I want to say, and I just need a nap. <laughs> like the last thing I need right now is to hear another sermon on Proverbs 22, 6, yet the truth of the scripture is, is that it is the church that is called to raise the next generation. Not just moms, dads, not just grandparents. It's the church. So whether we're young, old, kids, no kids, I really do believe that at some level, Proverbs 22, it just, it applies to all of us. And so what I would like to do this morning over the next few moments that we have together is really just talk about this question, and I hope to answer it for us. The question is this. With godly wisdom, we know that this is the point of the book of Proverbs, going back to chapter one. With godly wisdom as the underlying goals, and beneath all of that is the fear of the Lord, but with godly wisdom as the underlying goals, how do individual families, and then how does the church as a whole train up the next generation to both know and honor and follow the Lord? So as we do this, we have to realize, first of all, we don't start with us. We begin with who God is. And so as we pursue this godly wisdom to raise the next generation, there are several different things that I think as a church, and then not just a church family, but individual families, several different realizations that we need to have, okay? The first realization is this, number one, as we raise the next generation, godly wisdom demands humility, okay? That means less of us, less of me, and more of God. Now, humility, it just recognizes a couple different things. First of all, it, it recognizes that when we think that we have just arrived raising the next generation, we realize it just seems like we're right back to stage one, over and over and over again. We have a daughter that she just turned 21 years old and she's moving into her apartment for the first time and all the different things that go along with this and girls and roommates and who's going where and all of this stuff. 
And she gave us a call and said, hey, you know, what do I need to do to get my TV working? And where do I get the cables and all of this type of stuff? And she calls and she said, hey, we finally made it back to our apartment. And guess what? We don't have Wi-Fi. I'm like, of course you know this. Why? It's not just free in the atmosphere. It's not just out. It's not just, it, you have to buy that stuff, right? I know you think it just exists, but you pay for it monthly, and then you wait five days between the hours of eight and noon or noon and four in this real tight window, and this is how this works. You know, I thought we were past this. And humility also recognizes, I think it's important to realize that we all we all parent out of our own story. We all parent out of this, this story that we have. Like, I didn't have as much as I wanted growing up. Or as a matter of fact, my parents, they just, they gave me too much as I was growing up. Or it seems like that no matter when the church doors were open, we were always there. And man, my heart was just never in it. Or like, we didn't attend church at all growing up. And so I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to make a change. Or I was disciplined all of the time, and it just wore me out, or I wasn't disciplined enough, and I was just allowed to run free. And then we sort of come, and then we let the pendulum swing. And it's like, no, I have an idea now. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm a parent, and I think I have this figured out. I think I have a plan. Yet when we go to Proverbs, there's just this caution signal again and again and again. Just when you think that you have a plan. God cautions you. Proverbs 3, 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And that's just not the teaching of Proverbs 3. That's not just the teaching of Proverbs 22. There's gonna be some passages on the screen. You might write these down and read them later on this afternoon, but we're gonna go right through them right now. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, pride comes before destruction in an arrogant spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 5, strong words from God here. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the house of the, proud, of the proud. And so Proverbs just continually cautions against it again and again and again, this area of subtle pride. I've got this figured out. I have a plan. You may not agree with everything that Mike Tyson said. <laughs> I think he said it really well. And he says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's just true. Everyone has a plan until you have a newborn. Everyone has a plan until you have a two-year-old. Everyone has a plan on how this is gonna go until you have a rebellious teenager. Everyone has a plan until your kids are grown and gone and they leave you and you're lonely. Everyone has a plan. Everyone has a plan until they leave and then they come back. Everyone has a plan until they leave and they're grown adults and they're living in direct opposition to God. Wait a second, I thought that I had a plan. I thought that was how it was supposed to go all of the time. I thought that's what Proverbs says. Yeah, we have plans, and one thing that we need to acknowledge, God also has a plan for us, and that's humility. And again and again and again, passages in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, they drive us back to humility. Now, there's two main teachings here in Proverbs 22, 6. The first teaching is this, that there is literally a way to go. It says here, Sol Solomon writes, start a youth out on his way. 
Other translations, train up a child in the way that he should go. Literally, there is a way, there is a path, there is a way that a child should go. And then other translations put some of the the emphasis on a little bit of a different part of that verse. It's not just like training up a child in the way, it's the way that they should go, realizing that every child is different, realizing that no matter, like, you know, no matter how much we like to think that they're the same, they're the same person that each one is gonna need some sort of individualized teaching, depending on who they are. And there is a part of that that I really agree with. I have a way that I take to my bedroom every night. I'm walking down the hallway, and on the right is one bedroom, typically a complete disaster area. Keep walking down the highway, or walking down the hallway. And on the right there, the next bedroom, is the complete opposite of that. Yesterday, shoe organizers. We bought shoe organizers for that room because they're different people. And that's really not the point of the text. That, that's, that's part of it, but that's not the main part of the text. We need to acknowledge the main emphasis of the text is on training them in the way. We train them in the way, and it's our responsibility, not only as families, not only as a church, but it's our responsibility to teach them the truths of Proverbs. And what Proverbs continually teaches throughout the entire book is basically there are two different ways. There's the way of wisdom. There's the way of godly wisdom. And it's on this road that we actively pursue the Lord. This is the way toward God. This is the way toward true happiness, contentment, joy, and what God wants for us. And then there is indeed another way. If you're going down one road, there exists the option to take an exit. And Proverbs says this is the way of the fool. This is the way of the fool. And depending on what age they are, we get to teach this in age-appropriate ways. When they're young, we get to say, look, no, this is the way that we are headed. And one of the most like, freeing things for me as a parent to learn was is that we don't need to dialogue about some of these things. We don't even need to reason with younger children in the way that we are headed, not even up for discussion. But one of the things that helped me realize this is that one of the, we just don't have to reason with two-year-olds because they, in the, of themselves, they're just not reasonable people. Like the least reasonable human being has to be a two-year-old. So we don't have to reason. No, I want to go this way. I want to go that way. The answer can and should be at times no, because we're not going in that direction. And we need to warn them, as Proverbs 15.10 says, stern discipline awaits anyone, awaits anyone that leaves that path. And then as they get older, we get to continue to explain to them, look, there are these two different ways, the way of wisdom, the way toward the Lord, the way of godly wisdom, and then there is the way of the fool. There's the way of the fool, and we surely do not desire that you choose that direction. That way leads toward sin. That way leads toward brokenness and pain, and we so desire that you do not choose that Yet Proverbs continually, continually draws us back to humility. It's a humbling thing to know that that choice, the way of the fool, is indeed an option for our children. 
Now, the second teaching in Proverbs 22.6, the second half of the verse is, after we've set them on the path, after we have trained them up in the way toward the Lord and toward godly wisdom, it says that even when they are older, they will not depart from it. And it's important to realize, like, at the same time, we need to take the responsibility that we need to take as a church and as individual families as we raise the next generation we need to take all the responsibility that, that we need to put on our shoulders. But at the very same time, it's not a promise. What Solomon is trying to say here is, look, all things created equal, most likely, not always. It is a proverb, but most likely when we train them up to know and honor and serve the Lord, they won't depart from it. And there's humility that's developed in that. So when we read Proverbs 22.6, it's not a sledgehammer of guilt. See what you did wrong. That's not it. And it's not a guarantee. The purpose of Proverbs is humility. We see in other places, Proverbs 29.23, a person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. Another one, Proverbs 11, verse 2, when arrogance or pride, other translations say, when that comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. And there is something about it as adults, as we get older, there is something about it as our children get older that's just just humbling for us. And I'm not sure if dads, if you've ever had this experience, this wrestling match that your, that your sons want to have with you in the living room, right? And that is so much fun. That is such a great idea when they're 10 years old. It is a great idea. And then when they hit 16, 17, 18, not a good idea to wrestle your son in the living room. Because I'm not sure if you've ever hit this point that we're, we're in this wrestling match. This is all going great. And then you realize, I think I could go down at this point. <laughs> I, th- I think that this is now the last time that we are wrestling. <laughs> and even more so, how humbling it is to know when we have our children and we cannot wrestle you down into belief, we cannot wrestle you down into faith, we cannot do this. I set the way for you. I put you in places to grow. I model the word of God to you. I teach the word of God to you. I put you in biblical community, and then I entrust you to God. And that's humility. And that's what Proverbs says is wise living. Realization number one, humility. Here's realization number two. As we raise the next generation, we see that godly wisdom demands less of us and more of others, less of me, more of other people, more of the church. And that's why we cannot say, look, this, this text is not for me. No, this is the church's job. Um, Pastor Tim Keller just recently passed away. You might be familiar with him about two, three, four weeks ago. And he's written quite a bit on the book of Proverbs. And uh, he, he really explained this. It really helped me understand the point of Proverbs and the context. And what he said was Proverbs, they, they weren't written just for individual study and learning. These were written to be studied, to, li- to be lived, to be applied in the context of other people. This is a quote. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to follow along. It really helped my understanding of this. It says, so Proverbs, he says, it can't be dipped into It only repays very long study in which you keep the whole book in your head and compare passage with passage. And he says, how is that best done? In a community, 
And some argue that the book of Proverbs was originally written as a manual to be studied by a community of young men under the mentorship of older men for a number of years. Each proverb was to be discussed and considered and compared to the others. Examples from life were to be shared. In other words, Proverbs may have been written to be the basis for deep, comprehensive, personal growth through mentoring and community. It touches every area of life. And then he continues, it's also noteworthy that in Proverbs, wisdom constantly raises her voice in the city's public places, the commerce, the market, and the court, and the justice system. And then he goes on and he quotes Proverbs 1, 20 and 21, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. This was not just people in isolation. This is out in the open, in community, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. In Proverbs 9, 3 and 4, speaking of wisdom, Solomon writes, she has been sent out, she sent out her servants, and she's called from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. And so it is so crucial and so important, not only as individual families raising the next generation, but as a church raising the next generation, that we see the, the, just how important the community of faith is. And oftentimes, I'll thought of it as more of this analogy, and I've talked to parents about this. As kids are, are younger, like elementary age, they have your volume just turned way up. Right? It's like, we love mom and dad. We love everything about mom and dad. Please give me your input. Please give me your advice. Please tell me everything that you know. I want to I wanna do that. You are so awesome. And then I, it seems like it happens overnight, and I'm not saying that they put you on mute, but what I am saying is they begin to take the volume to mom and dad, just start to turn you down <laughs> a little bit. Then they turn the volume up on relationships, friendships, other people. And so I'd ask us as a church, I would ask us as families, who is the community speaking to your child? Who's the community speaking to the next generation? And the good news is that as the church, as families, we, we have say in determining this. And who we surround them with is so crucial, it's so important in Proverbs. And then the rest of Scripture continually, it teaches over and over and over that real sustaining gospel life change, it just always happens, not so much in isolation, but in the presence of biblical community. That's why Solomon can say something that seems so simple. We've heard this before, yet it is so profound. Walk with the wise and what? Become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. And there is something about discipleship. There is something about someone growing in their relationship with Jesus as they follow Jesus <clears throat> that, that it just, is, is just clicks. <clears throat> it clicks in real biblical Christian community. There's something about it. In John 17, Jesus prays for those people that would come to be followers of Jesus, that would come to be disciples of themselves because of the preaching of the disciples after Jesus would leave earth. And this is what Jesus prays. John 17, my prayer is not for them, speaking of the disciples alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so there's this idea that as we are one in Christ in the church, as we connect with one another in relationship, relational community in the church, as we are one in Christ, we begin to understand who God is in all of his fullness, Father, Son, and Spirit. And guess what? We grow spiritually. Guess what? We change because God wired us that way. That's the way that he has wired us in community. Now, on the screen, there's gonna be some words that may be familiar to you each and every time that we have a baby dedication. We have families that come up here that have taken a class and gone through training and they've committed to themselves as a family. They want to raise their children to know, to honor the Lord and we bring them up here. Many of you have taken part in this service. And then as a church, we get to read also our commitment back to these families. And just as a reminder, I would like to read that to you today, what we say to families. We commit to love, to support, to encourage, to speak truth to, and to pray for these families as they embark on the lifelong journey to discipling these children to faith in Jesus. And then we say, as a church, if you commit wholeheartedly to this, please respond by saying, we do. And then all of us, we will say, we do. And that's more than just a mantra, something that we repeat. That is our call, that is our job, and as a church, that's a joy in the next generation. And so third, the last thing we realize about godly wisdom as we raise the next generation, it demands less of me and more of God's word. Less of us, more of God's word. This is nothing profound, this is like, I've never heard that before. But we see it again and again and again throughout Proverbs that wisdom, as we make an active pursuit, there's always an active pursuit toward wisdom, is to be found in the word of God. Proverbs 2.1, accept my words. Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 3, 1-3, it's active. It's not passive. Listen, this is my son. Do not forget my teaching, the importance of it. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Proverbs 4, 4, take hold of my words. Not only don't forget them, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and live. Proverbs 5, 1, my son, Pay attention to my wisdom. Proverbs 30, verse five. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so as Christians, as leaders raising the next generation in the church and as families, we believe that scripture is sufficient. Scripture in the context of biblical community especially is sufficient to get the job done. We believe that scripture explains not only who God is, but it helps us understand all of life's most difficult questions. We believe that scripture, it's not just writing, it's inspired. Peter says that writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe that scripture is useful. It's useful for for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. It's inspired by God. We believe that scripture, and scripture alone is what keeps us on track. As, as we are leaders and leading the next generations to know and follow the Lord. Scripture itself keeps us and helps us know that we are moving in the right direction. Charles Spurgeon 
wrote these famous words when he commented on Proverbs 22.6. This is what he says. Train up a child in a way that he should go, but be sure and go that way yourself. How are we sure? We're sure whenever we ground our lives in the word of God. We believe the word of God changes people. It's not only true, but the word of God changes people. There's a group called the Center for Bible Engagement, and they did a study several years ago that centered in on not just like the Bible, but uh, people's Bible reading habits. And uh, this is what they found out. Uh, kind of they, they, they looked at the Bible and how much they read the Bible per day, uh, the days out, out of the week. And they found that if someone was in scripture one day a week, literally there was no difference that was made in their life. If they engaged the Bible two days a week, they found out virtually uh, there was, again, no change. Three times a week, if someone was engaging in scripture reading, they began to see somewhat of a small change, like a blip on the radar. Something started to track. And then they found that on day four, if someone was engaging scripture, more often than not during the week, that major changes began to happen in the lives of people. And here are some of the different statistics that they found out. They found that loneliness dropped 30%. They found out that anger dropped 32%. They found out that bitterness dropped 40%. They found out that alcoholism dropped 57%. And this is what I see in a lot of American Christians. Feeling spiritually stagnant, it dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. And on the flip side, people sharing their faith and increased 200%, people discipling others increased 230%. And you can take those statistics for what they are. Hey, they're just stats. I'm not sure I really believe all that stuff. We don't even know the size of the study. Take the stats for what they are. And I know that we cannot treat the Bible, the inspired word of God, like it's our gene. Like, if I read the Bible, then it must change my, li my life immediately. That's not what we're saying. But the thing that we cannot argue with is that when we read the word of God, when we regularly engage the word of God, it changes us. It changes us. And thanks be to God for that. And I think it starts, even on Father's Day, I think it starts in the hearts of men. I really believe that. I don't think that every man is, is called to be a theologian. I really don't. But I do believe that if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to be making regular, intentional steps in your life to be engaging the word of God. And if you're not, if you're not doing that, I don't think that you're becoming the man that God intends you to be, not fully. And I want you to be challenged by that. But I also want you to be encouraged by that, that you can do it. In the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure that you guys have noticed this, but we've had some things happening here at the church. We had multiple floods that caused us to have to take up the carpet and put down some new flooring and these kind of things. And we, at the same time, we had already planned on doing some remodeling in our offices. And so that meant that we had to empty out all of the offices. And so I went into my office and started to do this, have all of these bookshelves and started to take all the books off the bookshelves and just stack these boxes as, as high as I could get them with books. And it was like all day taking books off the bookshelves, putting them in these boxes, taking them down the hallway. And just, I started to realize, first of all, do I really need this many books? I mean, this is a lot of books here. And um, lots of books, God, faith, the church, what it means to follow Jesus. And typically when people ask me questions about what it 
what, it's, what is it like to be in the ministry? Usually, the first question is one, what do you do all day? The second question is, as they come into my office, students and even parents will ask, hey, um, they look around, and they'll almost without fail, have you read all of these books? And I answer them honestly. I say, you know what, I have read most of them. I've read 80, 85% of those books on my shelf, I have read. And I say this, by the grace of God, because that's not always been me. Literally, reading for Drew Henderson was my monthly subscription to Thrasher Skateboarding Magazine. That was reading. That was reading for me. I did not wake up every, when someone uses that expression, I just want to curl up with a good book. And that was not a part of my language growing up. Not about reading books. I did not have it on my career path to read a book. Like I'm reading a book, and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get a bunch of other books that explain to me things about this book, and then I'm gonna get up in front of large groups of people, and I'm gonna read this book, and I'm gonna explain to them what the book says. Not on my path. And then someone just challenged me to open the book. Open the book. And it changed me. And if you're a man, and you struggle to read the Bible, I just want you to know a couple different things. One, you're not alone. Two, I believe that if God changed my heart and my desires in this, I think he can change yours. And three, if that's you, then you need to take some intentional steps and make some decisions in your life so you can regularly engage the word. It's the word of God that changes you. And you can start simple. You need to start a new Bible plan in your phone. You can meet with a group of men that read scripture weekly. We have all sorts of groups that do that. You can start reading the book of Proverbs, one proverb a day for a month and you finish the whole book and just ask God, God, would you change me? God, would you change my heart? Would you change my desires? When things come across the pages that you don't understand, ask God for illumination and wisdom. Ask God to lead you to the people that can give you the answers and I think he'll answer that prayer. And as men, we have all sorts of goals, things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to do, jobs that need to be done, families that need to be raised, outside interests, hobbies, projects that you need to accomplish. As Bargatze said, you even have to remember the number of your child's bus. I know it's hard. You're gonna get socks and have to try those on this afternoon. But I think the thing that, that you need the most the thing that the people around you need the most from you as a man, as a man that knows the word of God and is being changed by the word of God and the power of his spirit. So less of us, more of others. Less of us, more of humility. And less of us, more of the word of God. And I believe in that way, God will use us to change and raise the next generation. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray together. We'll take the Lord's Supper. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs and that it's truly inspired by you. Way more than tips, way more than just this is how I, I can live my, my, my life in a, in a good way. God, it's godly wisdom for daily living. And when we engage your word, God, we continue to know you better. God, we continue to, as it says in chapter one, to understand what it means to fear the Lord.
and so as families. But more than that, as a church community, as a family, one family, might you use us to transform and change in the next generation for your glory. It's in your name. Amen. So as a family, one family, we will share the Lord's Supper together. So whether we're from Sunnybrook or our brothers and sisters from Eagle Heights that we consider to be family, it's the bread and the cup that make us one. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's take the bread and thank God for Jesus and his body and his life who died for us.